welcome to episode 72 of Penny Red. My name is Daniel Hodges, and with me today I've got the lovely, the uh, the first lady and gentleman of uh, of role-playing. Look at that, they're looking at each other like, wow, what an intro. How can we live up to that? Well, just to make me go good, it's comparison sort of thing, you know, contrast. Uh, I've got uh, Sean Nittner and uh, Karen Twelves. How's it going, guys? Hey! Thanks for having us on, Daniel. You um you are my my second and third favorite guests after Sean Hayworth because he's on here all the time. Just between you and me, you're my first favorite guest. But shh, don't tell him. And and other other guests, you're also my favorites. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in fact, you're, anybody that decides to be on the show is my favorite. But anyway, it's good to have you back, Karen. Uh, last episode was episode forty-two, uh, going mm-hmm. off script. So if you want to check out Karen, she's actually my. A first role-playing guest, episode two. So if you haven't gone all the way back in the uh, Penny Red back catalogue, Karen uh, was my first guest. Um, Karen in the Oakland gaming scene, sitting in a tree, I think is the name of the episode. Anyway, so uh, what's been going on, uh, guys? Sean, and then uh, maybe Karen, if you want to go first. Uh, sure. Well, um, the the most exciting thing that we just did was went to Go Play Northwest, yes. which is the first. Uh, both yeah. of us, yeah. Oh, right. There you go. Perfect. Which uh, has is went immediately onto our list of cons we will go to every year we possibly can. Right. Which is pretty high praise. Um, there's a lot of cons that I love, like Gen Con. I love it, but I don't think we can go every year. It's just too expensive, and it's right, too sure. hard to get out there. Right. But uh, Go Play is totally worth it. It's a phenomenal con. Okay. How would you characterize it, Karen? Um, I mean, it's it's really... Thing. It's small, it's, it, it's, it's um, inclusive in the sense that everybody plays something, everybody's always involved, and it kind of feels, since everyone's also staying in like this residence hall of, of the campus, feels a little bit like camp, Right. Okay. I found really fun. Um, and you know, you're also going to the, to the dining hall for meals and things, and so oh, there's okay. this very kind of college flashbacky feel. Uh, but it's all really indie narrative games and a really fun experience. So it was cool to just be surrounded by so many great players and GMs. Yeah, cool. so you, you do a lot of things together besides just gaming. You mm-hmm. eat together, you hang out together, mm-hmm. um, you forage into the wilderness, aka Seattle, together. <laughs> <laughs> it was really hot. So, uh, figure out how to deal with the heat together. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so, uh, how many people approximately? <sighs> I'd guess a hundred, maybe yeah. Yeah, hundred. Yeah, there's a uh, Go Play Northwest Google Plus community, um, right. and there are um, and there's some active discussion on there from from the folks. There's sixty some odd members of that community. So my guess is that usually my guess that probably represents about close to half of the total right. attendees. So I'm okay. guessing 100, 120, somewhere in there. Okay, and what sort of costs is there associated with Assuming that you're actually in Seattle, like what are the actual con costs? It's, um, it's very re- reasonable, actually, because they use because you stay in a dorm room, um, Seattle University leases out the dorm room. I think uh, a single person for the con, their uh, two nights stay, Friday night, Saturday night, and... Two meals a day, two meals Saturday, two meals Sunday. Sunday, and the dinner on Friday. Dinner on Friday. Is $170 a person. Well, that is very original. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It's, and, it, then, and then you've already paid for it. So it's great because the con itself feels very cheap because all of that was paid in advance. So right. when you're there, you don't feel like you're bleeding money trying to find some place to eat. You know. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, we, we felt like the whole thing was, I mean, because we'd already paid for our plane tickets in advance and already paid for the con. You know, we were like, wow, this just feels like a weekend. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we had to get dinner um, on Saturday. And then Sunday, we pretty much hopped on a plane as soon as our second game was done. So we right. didn't um, didn't eat there again. And yeah, it was very, very reasonable. I mean, I, <laughs> it put me to shame. I was like, damn, <laughs> I wish a bad con could be that cheap. Um, sure. But it did get me thinking that using college dorms during the summer um, is brilliant. You know, it's a really good use of space. The dorm rooms are definitely dorm rooms. They're uncomfortable. The mattresses are like this thin. Yeah. Um, The beds cannot be pushed together, per se. So, uh, you know, like... (laughs) We're like, hey, I mean, for those people, for those people that's that's I'm not saying, I'm just saying, are you concerned about rolling out of bed in the night, Sean? Is that the problem? Like you like um, to have more space? Yeah. Well, uh, it, it's uh, yeah. The, you it, open it, the door it, on that, Sean. It's like, dorm room living. <laughs> it was. It was kind of like good night, honey. Good night, and we're just like yards apart. Yeah. Our dorm as it beds. should be. As it should be, you're not married, right? Right. <laughs> that's right. Let's just keep Parents it. What sleeping one foot on the floor? That's right. Mm-hmm. And is it hard to get? Like, is it like a limited number of spots? And then once they're gone, they're gone. Or is anybody that wants to go can go? Invitation I don't only. Think so I don't think it's a limited number. They definitely they have games that you can sign up for in advance, but it's very casual. It's they have a, a forum, and people will post that they want to run games, and people will just say, "Oh yeah, I want to sign up for that," um, and you can. You can do a write-up for a game and put that um, kind of on a on a table where they have everything laid out, and you can sign up for games that day in advance. And right. they also do what they call the donut, where a bunch of people stand in a circle, and then GMs will go in the middle of that circle, and they'll just pitch their pickup games right then. So that's a right. lot of like games on demand kind of feel. It so sounds a little bit like dodgeball, though. Like, could you be standing in the middle there and you're just like, nobody picks your game, so you just have to kind of like put your head down and walk away. Well, and I, guess, I guess you I, could. I but. saw that happen, yeah. Somebody, uh, no, that, that did happen, and um, somebody was pitching a game. I don't remember what it was. It didn't, no one came up to them. So they just kind of looked at somebody else and was like, hey, I'll play in your game. Um, and I mean, I'm, you know, maybe it doesn't feel great to have no one sign up for your game, but uh, that's always a risk at a con. Mm-hmm. And this way... Um, everybody gets to game if they want to. It's really so. So it's kind of funny because I think like go play Northwest and Big Bad Con achieve the exact same thing in completely different ways. Literally like 180 degrees of each other. My goal is you get to game as much as you want because everything's set up in advance. You get to sign up for your games in advance, right. and if all the games fill up, I'll get more games. You know, yes. like I'll always make sure that you can sign up. But everything is figured out. Everything is slotted right into place in advance and all prepared and there's like just come you don't need to sign up for anything yeah. like we missed the the deadline to sign up for games on the forum because we didn't get the email or notice the email and, sure. and we're like oh no did we miss out and everyone's like nah don't worry about it and uh yeah. it was it was really fun because i got to run a game karen got to run a game mm-hmm. um which you know we might not have been ready to commit to beforehand and right. then we got to play in games in every single slot and I don't think there was a single person who wanted to play in a game who didn't get into something. I mean, some right. people elected not to, but mm-hmm. sure. So, would you say that there's a more emphasis in that uh, at that con on sort of the social aspect, like getting like making connections with with people? 
I mean, not to say that that's not part of Big Bad Con, but, you know, like it sounds like, you know, with eating in the dining hall and the sort of communal living and the, and the donut and all that type of stuff, you know, it's like uh, more of a more social aspect to it. There is definitely a kind of everybody's here for the same thing, so everybody's in it together kind of feel to it. So I think in that way, yeah. Right. I think there's also a lot of attempts to normalize the uh, level of um, sort of gamer notoriety uh, there. So if you're a first right. time, if you're a first time attendee and you've never been, you're going to meet everybody and people are really gracious. If you're, you know, hotshot game designer, um, you're still going to be playing in the same games using the same system, yeah. eating in the same with the same people. So there's not. Um, this sense of, you know, oh, this is this special guest of honor that is high and above everybody else and you're the plebeian new person. Everyone's meant to be together on the same level. Right. It's a, it's a role-playing utopia. Uh, it was it was great. I mean, <laughs> when, when Karen and I got in the shuttle on the way back, I said, uh, let's only go to good cons. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, those I'm sure go to bad cons. <laughs> well, not, you know, not to name names, but we we did have in mind a few bad cons that we're probably not going to go to. As right. Much right. Yeah. Define bad then. Define bad for me. I mean, well, it's really subjective, right? But what is it that, that you think is critical for a successful con? I think however you get to it, I don't care whether it's the big bad way or the go play Northwest way or a totally different way, but however you get to it, people should be in games as much as they want to be. Right. Like there should be a structure and it doesn't have to be like go play uses three different structures. And that That's not, I always assume that people informally just setting up games amongst themselves is always possible, but that's not the cons doing. So the con can't claim credit for that. So right. if you, find your buddy in the hall and say, hey, let's mm. game, and you game. That's great, but that's not the con providing mm -hmm. that. That's just a right. new using space. That's so, right, yeah, yeah. So GoPlay has three structures. They have the um, they have the, uh, uh, the, the forums you can sign up in advance. They have the sign-up sheets at the con, and then they have the donut. And mm. Big Bad has, um, I'd say, two and a half structures. It's got sign-up in advance online. Mm -hmm. It's got games on demand. Mm -hmm. And then it's got open gaming, which... I'm going to say is going to be a full, fully fledged third structure this year because I'm going to have these flags where people can designate that they're looking for players, <laughs> which flags. I think is important. You know, <laughs> so you can be like, aha. Um, but I think you need like a lay, like multiple layers of structures in place to ensure mm. that people get into games. If you have yeah. one structure, which is like my personal, the thing I have the biggest issue with is a shuffler. Uh, there's a good chance that someone's going to spend a lot of the con not in games. Uh, right. Or having to find games with their friends that they uh, yeah, kind of wan wandering around the hotel bar hoping to find somebody else either to hang out with or to run a, right. a pickup game, right. and that's really disappointing. And I've seen that yes. happen to people. Mm -hmm. Like much like myself at Gen Con, I was a, a poor babe in the woods wandering around, and I looked through I looked through a window like like Tiny Tim at Christmas time into a into a, 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 a what was it? It was China, no, uh, Thai food Paps restaurant. And I pressed my face up against the window and, and Sean and, and uh, Karen were there and they looked at the window and they sort of looked at each other as if to say, that poor little man is going to stay outside all by himself if we don't. And then the rest, as they say, is history. Um, uh, so, <laughs> was I painting? Was I, I painting? I don't remember the story picture? quite that way, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't we were, no, we were in a noodle place. Oh, it was the noodle. It was the uh, noodle. Were, they had, okay, they had like noodles. all kinds of noodles. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And no tipping was allowed, as I recall, which was strange, but there you go. Yeah. Um, so uh, moving on then from uh, Go Play Northwest, but before we get to the Big Bad Con, you've got something coming up this weekend, Karen, for those perhaps yeah. in the Bay Area or want to make a trip to the Bay Area. 
Yeah, so this Saturday is um, another, it's, it's actually the first for this year of our Improv for Gamers workshop. And uh, Mia and I put together a, a level two idea, which was a lot of people were really excited with the three workshops that we had run last year that were all kind of an introduction to improv techniques and how that can help your gaming, particularly in indie games where they you'll read like in the introduction to these games, like you should look at some improv rules. And mm. if you don't know what that is, then that's not helpful at all. No, um, sure. You know, and... Yeah, that's my pet peeve is where you, where you go to something and it says, in order to do this, first do this. But no, I want to just do this. Why yeah. do I? Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, having the skill you've never heard of before is helpful. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> that's why, uh, hey, and, it turns out I can do this. <laughs> so we did that last year and it was really successful. We did uh, we did three separate workshops, two at Endgame Oakland, which is a, a great store in Oakland, and then one at Big Bad Con. And we heard a lot of feedback from a lot of people who wanted to know, well, like, what's next? I want to do this again. And we said, well, you do it again, it's going to be the same thing. So we were trying to think about, well, how can we do a, a kind of a next level? Um, right. And we started looking at, well, what's more advanced improv scene work and how can more advanced scene work help in, in gaming? Like, does it still apply? And we started thinking about um, when you do long form improv and you have to edit scenes. And we started thinking about the things that a, that a GM really needs in GM skills, which is finding beats, being able to have good yeah. timing, time management yeah. between people and giving everybody enough screen time. Mm, yeah. And, and quick, tight edits of scenes so that things don't draw on too long. Yes, that's right. So yeah. we started looking at those and thinking about how can we work on those and show those and how they apply to gaming through long form scene work. And so that's what we're going to be doing Saturday. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely something that uh, if you're doing a more sort of narrative style game, is something that probably um, a lot of people could make use of. It's certainly something that um, I hadn't thought of ahead of time. Uh, just going back to something we talked about previously, I was playing a game with Sean and uh, and I was trying to um, uh, Jason Morningstar and uh, Jerry Tidwell. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think all of them have been on the show except for your sidekick at Big Bad Con, um, whose name I'm struggling to remember, who sat next to me and played the old guy. Eric. Yeah. Eric, that, yes, that's right, yes, yes who yes. I've not managed to hook up with. Yes, we were, and, and we were playing, there was a scene playing out between uh, a couple of the, the people, and uh, I was like, okay, the scene, that's the beat where the scene should end, but I don't know if I should jump in there and stop the scene happening or whether that's you know whether that's bad manners or or you know how how who am i to say that my beat is the same as somebody else's beat so right. you know, that that's something that i think probably would be quite um would be quite useful for i think for for a lot of people like knowing when it's okay to to sort of like knock something on the head or take something in a completely different direction mm -hmm. so sure. so how would people discover more information about that about about improv or about the workshop no, no, about the workshop that you're offering next week. Oh, well, they can go to the website, improvforgamers.com, and uh, we're the okay. same name on Facebook as well. And there's information about the workshops. Okay. We have very small amount of spaces left. Yeah, yeah um, it's right. nearly full. It's nearly full. So be, so be quick. Hmm? Yeah, absolutely. I was just saying, be quick. If you're, if you're hearing this um, right now, if you're online, um, then you can go straight over there and, and join that. Now, otherwise, yeah, be quick because you may miss out. Right. But, um, we, but we do ask that, uh, 
sorry, we do ask that anyone who's signing up has some kind of background, whether it be taking the first class, whether it be having some kind of, you know, improv classes they took previously or any kind of acting. Um, and the goal in that is not to say you need to come with like all these skills. The goal in that is that you need to come kind of ready to jump into it. Because we're going to put people kind of right on stage and start doing scenes. And so we want people to be comfortable with that. Right. right. You know, the, the warm up and the lead in isn't going to be quite as long as it was initially. In level one, we kind of finish with scene work, but we do a lot of short form exercises and games to look right. at all of these different concepts. Whereas this one, we're going to jump right in and do more advanced scene work and editing. Right. So it's almost like... Uh if you did the first one, then consider this to have been a break before the part two of that that same yeah, thing. So expect yeah. to pick up where you yeah. left off. Right on. Um, but if people aren't uh, can't make that or they haven't done that introductory bit, then you're also doing the improv for gamers at Big Bad Conning, and maybe you can talk about that, and then Sean can give us an update about what's going on with Big Bad. Yeah, we'll, we'll do the level one again um, at Big Bad Con, which was a great success, and that was so much fun because we got to have a really big group of people, a really huge space, which was wonderful to work in. A lot mm. of enthusiasm, even on uh, early on a Sunday morning, everyone was high energy, which was great. Mm. And that's looking at a lot of the basic ideas of the yes and rule, accepting offers, right. making your partner look good on the, you know, and um, kind of accepting Useful. complications and failures and Useful. how those apply to role playing, you know, right. through different sort of improv exercises. Yeah. And that one was really in demand last year. It filled up very, very quickly. And uh, so uh, uh, because the idea, one of the premises of Big Bad Con is that anybody should be able to step into any game or any yes. event, you know, that's why we're doing level one again, because mm -hmm. A, there's demand for it, but B, we don't want anyone like, you know, I tell this of all the GMs, like you can't have uh, any requirements of experience for your games. Same thing here is so we want anyone yeah. to be able to say, oh, right. hey, I'm interested in that. Sign up yeah. and, and, and attend. Mm -hmm. So. Right. Right, that's kind of a carry-on for what I was saying before, but you know, like, well, you can do this, but first you have to do this type thing. So, yeah. so that's yeah. always that's something that's definitely appreciated. There's no no previous um, experience required. I think is essential for a con, right? Right. Level one is definitely that is no absolutely no previous experience. In fact, sometimes it's better because if people come in with they're already feeling kind of like an improv hotshot, it can it can almost make them harder to work with. Yes, you know? for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's like when you've got that one person in the in your game who knows the rules yeah. better than the GM. You're like, yeah. eh, let's let's pretend you don't. Right. Let's, let's <laughs> yeah, go. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. last year one of the uh, one of uh, the gamers, Elizabeth, brought um, brought her boyfriend Martin, and I don't think he had done improv or gaming, and he was fantastic. You know, yeah. he was just like, he's like, oh, this is what we're doing. Great, cool, and you know, that was a really good mm -hmm. example of like somebody who didn't really have any. Uh, or much, at least. I think I, I'm pretty sure he's pretty mm -hmm. new to all of it, and he jumped in right. and had a lot of fun. Yeah. And we don't want anybody to feel intimidated that they don't have any any improv experience, um, right. which is why we definitely say that we welcome people who have zero yeah. uh, for level one. Mm -hmm. It's worked out really well. I've been really excited with the amount of positive feedback and interest that we've had in it. So we'll see how level two goes. It's kind of an experiment, and if that one's really popular, we'll right. maybe do that again later this year in in the fall. Right, sure. Okay, and at Big Bad Con, you plan? I was in a game of Tribunal with uh, with you that was run by Jason and uh, ably assisted by by Kristen. That's right, by, by Kristen um, who Hayworth, who is on a number of previous episodes. Are you planning to run that yourself this year? 
Yeah, I'm going, I'm going to run that. And I, I feel kind of bad because I'd actually been thinking all year I wanted to put on a stage version of it. And I had talked with Jason with somebody else who had done that um, on the East Coast, actually made it a, a, a one-act play. Right. I really wanted right. to do that. It didn't get put together. Um, so that's still something that I want to do, uh, which, which will be a project soon. Uh, but I am going to run it at Big Bad, which will be exciting. I think I'm also going to need a second because uh, Kristen was very helpful, I think, for Jason. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's done. So, okay. Daniel I get to you. Oh, yes. Awesome. Oh, good. Uh, and my and my in my job as a teacher i don't get to say all the things on my mind when somebody's doing something i find annoying and i'm just going to now start practicing all of those super super put downs that uh, that kristen had so if you're going yeah. in that game make sure you've got your psychological armor on because there'll be no holds barred and i'll be smiling from ear to ear inside every time i say something horrible yes that was yeah. an <laughs> it was yeah. a lot of fun yeah i i, I highly recommend yeah. you uh you use those booths for the confessionals again because I think oh, yeah. those were the most claustrophobic spaces imaginable. Yeah. I remember yeah. I was I was running a little bit late because I was trying to pump myself full of coffee and I was like, oh my god, I have two minutes to get there and I'm running down the hallway. Yeah. I can see a line of people waiting just in case there's some no-shows to jump in and I get yeah, in yeah, like, yeah. just as my name is being called and I, I was like, I didn't realize that this was like so, like so many people wanted in on this game that they were yeah. turning mm. people away. Yeah, uh, mm. it will be at midnight again, uh, yeah. Daniel. So nice. Oh yeah, just the just the possibility, the, just the chance to yell horrible things at people is just. Yeah. I'm, or I'm so excited about doing. I'm so excited about doing it already. It's going to be magical for me, not for you, <laughs> but magical for me. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so what else uh, from Big Bad Con, Sean? What else can you tell well, us? What's uh, been up percolating yelling, over the last couple of weeks? Speaking of yelling horrible things at people, um, or putting putting uh, yelling horrible things at people into a different into a different context, um, because of uh, hearing about, I haven't, I haven't experienced this at Big Bad, but I have heard uh, in the last couple of years an awful lot of really uh, horrible behavior happening at cons, uh, specifically around the realms of harassment. Um, Daniel's, oh, really? looking, yeah? okay. Daniel's looking at me strangely. <laughs> I'm not the I'm not the target demographic for being a white male, um, middle class male. I'm not the demographic for uh, for for harassment. So I'm I'm not suggesting that it doesn't happen or that I'm surprised by it. I'm just uh, yeah, no, I suppose I am. I'm surprised by it, but disappointed as well. I suppose. Yeah, much. yeah. It really baffles me. I mean, I think wh where I have seen it reported the most is at larger cons. I don't know if that is simply because the volume of the attendees is enough that if you have a small percentage of reports, you know, at a smaller con, maybe that very small percentage equals zero. And at a larger con, that very small percentage equals a few. Or because there's better kind of networking connectivity via social media for people to feel comfortable mm. bringing it up. I'm not sure exactly why, but or, or whether it's because larger cons are more lax and there's not, you know, there's less accountability because it's so big. There's lots yeah. of reasons why it could be, but there's a lot of incidents um, th of that have been reported of, of harassment and, and a lot of it's sexual harassment, not all yeah, of it. Yeah. But I mean, that's, yeah. um, you know, some of that centers around people who are cosplaying, which isn't a big thing at Big Bad Con. You, know, you don't see a lot of people in anime right. outfits. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, it, I, I think that there's the opportunity for that regardless yes. and so yes. in response to that um you know it hasn't been an issue and i want to continue for it not to be an issue uh, and of course, i want yeah. to i want everyone who comes to the con to feel safe and i want them to feel welcome yeah. 
and not discriminated against or not harassed. So uh, uh, I've looked at several different codes of conducts that other cons have put up, and I've created right. one for Big Bad Con. Well, the thing is, is that there there are cons that don't have code of conduct like right. rules listed anywhere and that's something that still is kind of like a new thing for some people like really we yes. have to write this down yes you do have yeah. to write it down and yeah. um that's becoming more and more important right. um in conventions to have that out there and clearly stated we're not going to put up with any of this right and, right. and the big rationale is like you know if you're somebody who's who is you know being affected by that who is who's being targeted by that like like you want to know that some action will be taken, mm -hmm. but also like yeah. for the con staff. I mean, my staff is really tiny, but for the con staff, like you want them to have clear directions to what to do. They need a protocol, right? Because some of the reports are like, you know, somebody in security was all, "Man, I'm sorry, that sucks. I don't know what to do about it." Like they mm -hmm. didn't like the, the the staffers and the volunteers didn't really have like any understanding of what they how they should respond, and so um, and so this I think. You know the idea there is to give everybody you know clear direction on that. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I'm hoping you. Yeah, Sorry. No, no, I was going to say, yeah, like, good, good for you for uh, drawing people's attention to it because I think that um, going back to what you're saying about the big con, there's certainly that level of anonymity. I mean, you just need to take a look at uh, you know the protests in Egypt to see what can happen in a very large group of people, um, mm. and. Yeah. And I wouldn't like to think that anything like that was going on um, at a Gen Con or anything like that. But I think the reality is that if you get a large enough group of people, there are going to be incidences of, of almost anything which we may or may not necessarily find uh, reprehensible. Um, but I think that in that environment, because things are quote-unquote different to what you expect or what you experience in everyday life, some of those boundaries get blurred, particularly when it comes to uh, cosplay, but also under the guise of, well, yeah, it's role-playing, I'm playing a character, I'm this and that, as right. sort of a, as, a, as a pass for some, for, you know, for unacceptable um, sure. behaviour. So, so I think that drawing attention to that ahead of time, um, for most people, it will be a non-issue in terms of, well, yeah, I mean, it's like it's, I'm a human being, but some people um, may need to be reminded about what where these li the lines still exist, right? And, and right. what's correct behavior. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and so I think, you know, I think it, it's mostly there to serve as a sort of a, a security blanket for people to know, okay, this is not yeah. tolerated. Like, so I That's feel safe right, yeah. in this environment. Um, but yeah, for some people, I think it's also going to be a guideline of no, that doesn't fly like that. Mm -hmm. You can't be trying to pick somebody up in a game. Like that's not, yeah. the, that's not the space to do it. If they're stuck in a four hour game with you and you start hitting on them 30 minutes, oh, in, yeah. that's really uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, yes. and again, should, I'm not in the target demographic for that. <laughs> yeah, they should have to endure three and a half hours of that. No, to, you no, know, right. or have to leave a game. Like neither, you know, well, three and a half minutes of that, right? Like it's right, not yeah, exactly. But um, but uh, yeah, so that's um, so yeah. Hopefully, it never. Hopefully, it's a non-issue. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I'm glad that it's something that we've kind of um, cut off that, that I've been able to address before it's before it's been an issue. So it's yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm very proud about that. On lighter fronts, um, I've got a lot more games that are keep keep coming in. Um, uh, I was kind of surprised actually when I realized we didn't have a lot of fake core games. And as being right. the evil half project manager, I was like, we should <laughs> we should fix that. So yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I've got uh, several people submitting them. Um, this is just this is only to apply social pressure to you, Fred. This is not for any other reason. But I'm trying to get Fred Hicks to come out. My boss. I'm trying to control right. him to come out um, and uh, and play some games. Uh, there's Evil Hat is a very celebrated vendor even before nice. I was part of it uh, at Big Bad because of the, the right. products that they make, and so. Um, uh, and so I'm, I'm mm. seeing if I can convince him to come out. I think it, the chances are slim, but we'll see how I do. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And how do you find that uh, working with uh, like where's the where's the headquarters big, uh, for Evil Hat? Uh, Evil Hat is completely virtual. Um, Fred and Rob are both East Coast. Right. Um, uh, Carrie Harris yes. is also is Central, um, and then Chris right. Hanrahan and I are both out here on the West Coast. Um, so when we have, you know, the corporate officers meeting, um, it's generally over email, honestly, because getting all five right, of us, right. even even online at the same time to do a Skype call or a Google Hangout is sometimes tricky. Right. Um, and it's my yes. job to check in with everybody as project manager. So right. I am kind of point to point connecting with folks, but not always getting everyone together. Although we are all prolific emailers. So there's lots of right. email conversations going on all the time. But um, yeah, go. we there's no there's no office uh, that exists. The office is there right here. <laughs> exactly. It's wherever anybody's in front of a computer. So going on with uh, with Big Bad Con then, so what to develop, like you've, you're encouraging uh, Fred to uh, participate. You've got some more fake core stuff in there. And anything, anybody else that's uh, signed up, any different sort of things yeah. that have developed over the last couple of weeks? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, there's several folks that I got to play with or hang out with at GoPlay. Um, the, the Seattle crowd is... Um, really just full of awesome gamers and I, I just met i think i gamed with like i counted it with like 17 or 19 and new people that i'd never gamed with before and wow. by and large they were all great contributors and a lot of fun and i and i went up there like an idiot totally unprepared i didn't have any flyers any business cards i was such a moron um <laughs> yeah Karen's nodding. yeah uh he, he brought you know, it's a big uh, charming sean charming <laughs> he brought some He's stuff. Brain chip. Yeah. He he had brought some bookmarks for for Fate, and um, and I was and we, he was gonna put those out, and I was like, oh, did you? Are you gonna put out your big bad stuff too? And he just kind of looked at me like, deer in headlights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. I, just, Car Carl Rigney thankfully brought a few, but I think he just he had like literally. <laughs> Thank like, you, Carl. Yeah. Thanks, Carl. <laughs> But um, but I, I did talk to folks there and tell them about it. And by and large, in fact, many of them had heard about it, which I was excited to hear. Um, yeah. Right. And uh, and so I, I tried to pitch to them. Um, I have to say, Seattle folks, um, uh, Seattle folks, if you uh, are, are any, you know, if, if you're thinking about it, the flight is an hour and forty five minutes, and that's. Um, mm -hmm. You know that's uh, really quick. It Oakland Airport is right next to Big Bad Con, so like you just hop yes. off the plane and you're there. And uh, you can you can get it. I think the hotel does shuttles. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does have a shuttle. Yeah. So um, yeah, so I'm hoping some of those folks come down. Um, I talked to John Harper up there, and he's wants to, and it's just a matter of whether or not uh, he can get time off work. 
Um, I've talked to both Sage and Adam, the guys who made Dungeon World, mm-hmm. and they're both interested in doing it. So I'm just trying to build up that like, I think it just needs to build up like enough momentum where like enough other people are going like, oh, that person's going, that person's going, yeah, yeah. you know, oh, right, right. So. But luckily, yeah, people just heard great things about it. Um, yes, I do have yeah, one. I think that's of, probably what it should. I do have one kind of bummer, which is that I'm not sure we had Jared uh, slated to come out, and uh, because of moving and because of other things going on in his life, uh, he's now in the unsure category. So. Right. Um, so we'll see. I did have a, a, a big 50-person game of Parsley Slated for him to run, and uh, I've got some backups now. So, so the game will happen, no matter what. Right, right. The, for the sure. I hope so. I want, I want to play in it. Yes, the game will go on. <laughs> Action Castle and Z-World and all those things are, are really awesome games. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you'll have a very able uh, standard if Jared's not able to, uh, to be there. Um, so anything else there before we crack on with the, uh, with the, the topic du jour? I'm sure there's some other little bits, but that's all that's that's all that's big. Um, so yeah, uh, Torchbearer just came out on PDF, so now I can officially make some folks run it. I'm excited about that right. running, and uh, I got a couple people uh, that are probably gonna be running Tenrabancha Zero there too, which is another well new to us game. It was just translated from Japanese. Right, it's, right. Like 90, it's a game in the, from the '90s, but uh, so a uh, couple the couple brand new games. I'm really excited. I know will be there. Excellent, excellent. All right, so uh, yeah, check out bigbadcon.com uh, if you'd like to know more information about the uh, about the game and uh, oh, sorry about the games that are going to be there and also about uh, about the con itself. But as I say every time we talk about it, it's uh, certainly my favourite con. So so there you go. Alrighty, so the topic du jour. Um, now I don't really want to say spoilers ahead of time um, because. I don't think we're going to get too into too specific, much specific plot stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about Game of Thrones. So um, there's a possibility that a couple of things may sneak out here and there, but it's not really about Game of Thrones so much as an attitude towards a developing a fiction, which you may or may not be interested in applying to your own games. Now, there is a Game of Thrones game, right? Uh, there is a D20 Game of Thrones game. Right. Uh, I, I, haven't, I, uh, I haven't played it. Um, but I think it was made. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know too much about it, so I, I can't. I can't. I can't speak to it so much. But I don't think Game sure. of Thrones, honestly, is terribly system dependent. I think that you could play no, no. a great game of it with Burning Wheel, a great game of it with Primetime Adventures. A great. I mean, I think mm. there's you know a great game of it with Fate. I think mm-hmm. there's a ton of systems that would uh, anything that has kind of. Uh, fantasy with light magic you know or rare magic available would probably you know fit uh game of thrones pretty well right right and for anybody that's saying it's not called game of thrones it's called the song of ice and fire then okay we're talking about that too here's a here's a joke for you how um how do you how can you tell somebody um who has um read the books of game of thrones how can you tell somebody who's read yeah, how can you tell somebody has read the uh, the Song of Ice and Fire, the Game of Thrones books? Uh, because they know all about the crazy meals that they eat, no. like all the eel. Because they call it the Red Wedding. Uh, no, because because they'll tell you. Oh, they will tell you. <laughs> oh, the, yeah, yes, you see, you see where I'm going. Well, so, but anyway, <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, I've read the books and in the books. Yeah, I don't don't care if you've read the books. There are plenty of uh, books of you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah this, this is the book better, really? Is it? Is the book better? 
No, really? Yes, it is? No, I don't no. care. So we're just talking about basic, the, specifically um, initial says that we can apply any system at all to it. Um, we're talking specifically about what your expectations should be for the longevity of your character and what that sort of brings to, um, or what, how that creates sort of a different flavor in a, in a television show and how maybe you can capture some of that in, uh, in your game. So specifically what I'm talking about, I guess, is in Game of Thrones or The Song of Ice and Fire, um, there are major characters which, uh, which die along the way. And in yeah. general fiction, um, or at least in most televised television fiction, um, the hero is unlikely to die. Um, right. Not not always, but they're always going to probably die at the end, or maybe their sidekick will die. But but the deaths will always occur somewhere sort of towards the end, or, or you don't really need to fear for the for the characters. But in the game of in the Game of Thrones or the Song of Ice and Fire, there's really no sense of safety for any of the the characters, which puts you on the edge of your seat continuously because you're never quite sure when you turn a page whether a character you've been following all along is is no longer going to be a, a part of the story. Yeah, and and often the deaths. In it. And sometimes the deaths are, are um, foreshadowed a little bit or forecast it a little bit. Like you, like oh wow, this is this is probably going to be bad. Um, sometimes deaths come really out of the blue, and you're yes. really it's it's like you literally like what am I reading? What what is happening right now? It's when Joss Whedon kills a character, you're like oh, but so good. And and when Martin kills a character, you're just like why did you hurt me so bad? Yeah. Like there's just this. This mean, like sadistic way yes. that he kills his characters. Yeah, and it's not—he's not the only one doing yes. it, but he's the only one doing it in a way that I think really is like mean. It hurts. Yeah, yeah. and I, I mean, I think so. Yeah, I agree. I think not only in most fiction do most protagonists are most protagonists safe, but a lot of a lot of role-playing games, the idea is your protagonists, the characters you're playing, yes. kind of go from adventure to adventure or scenario to scenario. If if we're talking about a long-term game. And, and they um, and and they're they're expected to stay intact. Hopefully, they change. Hopefully, they grow and develop, and and their beliefs and their attitudes and their even maybe their powers or abilities are changing. But um, but they're expected to be relatively safe um, in yes. most games. And yes. and character death is often a really really big deal. And and there's not really necessarily a good provision to deal with it if you're a player and you're like my character died. A lot of games don't have a really good way for you to keep playing. You know, yes. you gotta be like, yep. well, yep. I guess I'll see you guys next session. I'll go make up a new character, and we'll try and mm -hmm. figure out how they fit into the story. And if it's a really storytelling game, like if it's a dungeon crawl, it doesn't matter. You're like fighter seventeen shows up, right? It's it's no mm. big deal. But <laughs> but if it's a really entrenched story, like Game of yes. Thrones is, yeah, then it's yeah, it's it's hard. it's hard to weave a new character in. So, um, I. I there's some there there are some contemporaries though um so dread is a horror game uh yes. i don't think game of thrones is a horror but it definitely has some of these same elements dread mm. uh you know it's the it's called the jenga game where every time you take an action it's dangerous you have to pull from the jenga tower and the jenga tower falls over you die right. um and, right. and a lot of people play dread where they have like a large cast of characters mm -hmm. and they're just sort of unimportant NPCs that sit in the background and you tip that tower over and they're like, they hand you in the NPCs and they go, Oh, congratulations. You're now playing this guy or this guy, this right. woman, you know? And, um, and, and so you can kind of get back into the game quickly because there's an expectation right. that you'll die. 
Um, but I don't know that I've ever played a game where Dread where I invested as heavily in the characters because you're always staring at the tower knowing you could die. You're always like, you know, like I don't mm-hmm. think I've really gotten my teeth sunk into a Dread character. I don't, I think there's something about, I'm, I'm the worst Jenga player ever. And it's not that, one, I take forever <laughs> pulling a piece because my hands are shaking suddenly. And two, I'm the worst when other people are pulling because I'm sitting there going, oh, no, don't do that one. I'm just like so distracting as, right, as, right. as a player. Um, and I, I love Dread. And it actually, the tension for me makes me really protective of my character and I have to actually kind of fight that to go back in and, and be okay with if the tower falls, you know, that's it for my character. So I actually have to kind of fight this overprotectiveness that I get. And I love that game because of the tension that it builds. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so and just for, out of curiosity, for those that would like to hear a little bit more about Dread, Ebediah Ravishol is the author of that game. And if you go back um, to episode, I think, 44 and 42, and then a couple of episodes subsequently, you can hear, uh, you get a chance to hear Ebediah talking about um, talking about that. So anyway, so you're, you're on the edge of your seat and you're making a whole bunch of noise. People are finding it really difficult to pull blocks out of there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the worst person to play Dread with because I will I will just make it m- more frustrating. Sean is worse though because he will narrate through his pull. So he'll pull the piece and then leave it there right. halfway out to talk a little bit more about what he's doing. I like and to get my character nice. really close to that. I'm like, and this is what I'm climbing, walking across the tightrope and I'm reaching out to try and grab the, the landing and then and then, I, and then and then there's me being like just pull the piece come on <laughs> and like and then a wind goes by and i kind of waver and have to get my balance oh my yeah, yeah yeah i i like to sort of torment both myself and the other players of, yeah, it works of having my yeah. character oh, yeah. be in danger as the piece is like really tenuously you know in danger of right. tipping over the tower right right um right. so yeah so i think that that game you know, has that kind of like, you could die at any time moment uh, factor into it. It also has that like rising tension where you don't know who's going to die, but you kind of know someone's probably going to die because this is a tower gets yep. thinner and thinner. The chances of death are yep. higher. Um, and it usually, I wouldn't say every time, but it usually has some kind of provision for bringing in another character so you can keep mm-hmm. playing the game. Right. Um, every right. time right. I've, I've played it, well, except for this last one, the previous times that I played it, there were um, other characters that could come in and right. did, in fact, because I think in all of them, somebody died and then would take on a new character that had been an NPC before and now joined the story. Right. Yeah, and I think that um, you sort of hit the nail on the head earlier on there, Sean, with your assessment in terms of, you know, you get that tension, but then you don't get that same character, character buy-in. And that's sort of that, magical sort of crossover it was a venn diagram where you've got this character you've got this you know buying for your character and you've got this tension and then where those two uh, sort of meet where the where you know everything you do could be a matter of life and death but you really care specifically about that character rather than being a general tension associated with the game you know that's the yeah. sort of magical spot that i guess yeah. that it's, we're trying it's- to hit it's hard for me to gather because I kind of need to get into my character for a while before I really love them and care about them. And I think Martin does the same thing. He doesn't kill people off in the first scene. He kills them off after you've fallen in love with them and you think they're like the greatest. And then you're all, um, and, and and when he kills people that you hate, 
even then he like kind of tortures you through it. You're like, when is he going to kill them? Already? Like, oh my God, could he just kill them? And you're like, just waiting for them to die. But they, you know, but he like, he like drags it out. So mm. he, he really makes the deaths poignant. And I, and I think the dread captures a little bit about that, but, um, but yeah, but I, I, I sometimes have a harder time getting invested when I kind of know my character's life is on the line. There's a there's another game by Jason Morningstar that I really like, but I haven't played too much of yet, which is Durance. Um, mm-hmm. And in Durance, you always play two characters, and it, you don't really play them; you advocate for them. So you put them in scenes, and there's a really good chance that they will either change status, like they'll go from being a criminal to being in the government, or from government to the criminal, or they'll go from being like a lowly nobody to being some important, or there'll be someone important and they'll fall. One of those kind mm-hmm. of up, down, left, right changes sure. in their status. Yeah. Um, Nobody goes unchanged. Yeah, or that they will um, break an oath, which is like, I will never do this. Um, you know, that they'll that they'll 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 have something they really believe in, and they'll they'll break it, um, or that they'll die. Those three are all really mm-hmm. viable choices. So you don't always know like when your character is going to die, and because you're advocating for for two characters. Um, you know, you can still play after your character right. dies. Sure. So, I mean, sure. obviously both of them could die, um, mm. but then you still have a role because it's kind of a rotating GM role. So you can, right. I think, I think you can like do more of the jamming. I can't remember what happens if both your characters are out, but the, the mm-hmm. game tries to keep you involved um, right. as much as possible. Um, so that's another way where you have a bigger cast. Because I think a big part of Game of Thrones is the cast is huge. I mean, it's yes, way it bigger than your conventional, you know, one character per player yes. game. You yes, know? sure, sure. So, do you think that that's a way into it? Then is by um, if you want to try and capture that element of it, is to have is to be telling a really big story and have different aspects of the story, and then perhaps each week rotate through a different element of the story, so that you may lose a character in one piece of the story, and then but still have characters and other pieces of the story, so you care about all the different bits? Yeah, I mean, it's important for, if you're still talking about role-playing games, it's really important for that player to have something to do. Um, of course. You know, as, as soon as their character dies, there needs to be something in the works for them, either by picking up another character or, or changing in some way. And actually, mm. um, Jason Morningstar just came out with Carolina Deathcrawl, which is the new yes. one that, that he and Steve Segetti put together, and it's really good. And that's mm. actually, they say it's a competitive card role-playing game in mm. that you have, you have four people, it's GM-less, and you have different cards uh, with nar- narrative points. Kind of like Once Upon a Time, mm. and there's cards with different things yes. that you can add to the narrative, and they have point values. And the more you play them, at the end of every act, somebody's going to die, and that's the person with the least amount of points. So it's, right. it's interesting because it's rewarding you for role-playing. It's rewarding you for adding to the story, for furthering the plot. And the more you mm-hmm. do that, the better chance you have of living, but it's also guaranteed that someone's going to die every round. And when you right. die, you become a swamp ghost. And right. you're, you, you now, now your cards are penalty points against the other players. So right. you're still putting your cards in and you're making it even harder for them, yes. uh, for the, the remaining players to play. So there's no, mm. th- there's, 
you know, there's a change in a little bit of, well, your your character's story is gone, but you are still contributing to the plot right. in right. a big right. way. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And so that way there's, there's, even though there's not a one-on-one relationship of characters, there's a one-on-one relationship of like actions. Like you keep getting right. back. Mm-hmm. And, right. and the thing that people have commented to me about Durance and, and other games where you have multiple characters is that it's that I think the same issue that I have with Dread is that it's a little bit harder to invest in when you have multiple characters. Like you kind of want to get in the skin of your character and be like, I, 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 re- I believe in this person's beliefs and I feel their passions and I want them to yeah, achieve yeah. the mm-hmm. thing that they're seeking. Is that you? <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, just give me just give me two seconds there. You go, you can talk about Durance there a little bit for me. Okay, just two seconds. <laughs> All right. So this is great. This is great. So podcast. that Daniel guy, what do you think about? Okay, him? Daniel went oh my god. When we met Daniel the first time. This is Daniel's game. Yeah, Daniel just came out with Faith. And um, I don't think he just came out with Faith. But it's interesting because Faith, <laughs> I think, is a game that Daniel was working on for about like twenty years, a really long time. Uh, maybe not that long, but it's an idea he's had for a long time. And I don't think, I don't know if he didn't, you know, feel like there was sort of uh, an environment for it to exist because fate is very much like Monster Girl 1244 and which Road Farm where it's like scene one starts here, scene two starts here, scene three starts here. And it basically like, it's got a lot of real structured narrative and the play comes out of how do you interact with those scenes and you answer some questions and then you, you play from there. And um, I, I really like to think that playing Witch last year at Big Bad Con got him thinking like, hey, I have this game that's like this that I've never made. Oh, he's back. Oh, so we yes, can't Sorry about that. My, my daughter opened up. Oh, 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 he's back. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> my daughter overbalanced on on her chair there. She's she's in one piece still, fortunately. Okay, good good here. Sorry, endurance. Yes, so uh, so uh, you took the reins there, Sean. No trouble. You guys had a one sided oh. conversation. Uh, yeah, we we managed to have a good conversation. <laughs> I I was gonna say, um, you know, if you're not if you're not connected to your character, um, and you have too many backups, then you get like paranoia. You're like, what yeah. do I care? I have five more clones. Right. That's, and it's that's a totally right. different type of game when you're just like, mm. I don't care if I die at all. Right. And so, that's right, yeah, yeah. so there is this really important balance of my character matters and their death matters and their yeah. death matters to the story. Um, yes. Yeah, that's, and that's a hard, I think it's hard to do. Um, and I, um, yeah, I, I, anybody that was hoping for some for some hard and fast answers, I, I don't really have. My best bet, I was thinking about this the last few days while I've been sort of working in the yard and, and so forth. And the only way that I can, that at least that I saw to, to achieve that was to have a big story like the Song of Ice and Fire, where you have these various fronts that the action is taking place on. And um, if you play out these various pieces sequentially even like even within a session you may play two or three different i mean it's a lot of administration for a for a game master i would imagine um but if you were to have those different fronts of story then that's possibly a way that you could um still feel um you still connect with your characters but there still be the possibility that they could die at any moment Mm -hmm. yeah um i I have to say in, in games i've played in um you know, one of the games I've had the most in, uh, enjoyable deaths in, I, 
I, I kind of like when my characters die. I sort of feel like I won. Like, like, <laughs> like, like I, I, I sort of feel like I played through the character. Like, I got all, you know, some people you feel like. You played their story arc through. Right. Like, yes, some people right, feel like yeah. their character is complete when they hit 20th level. You know, I yes, feel like my character is complete when they die. Um, <laughs> right, right. So, so I may not be a great example of this, but, um, but I find really high lethality systems also kind of, um, kind of give you that, 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 that fear of like, well, really like a bullet could kill me. And, mm. and I don't know when I'm going to get shot. I, I played, um, legends of the five rings, uh, for many years. And, you know, that was a game where like, you didn't want to get into a fight if you could avoid it. And we right, did a right. lot of not fighting, even though the game <laughs> mechanics are not, the game mechanics don't really support a lot of not fighting. It's a, it's really hand wavy, right. you know, the, the, but, um, but, uh, but when you got into a fight, your characters could often kill somebody in a single blow, but there was a right. fair to middling chance that somebody else could kill you in a single blow too. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, a double-edged sword. Right. And, and there were a few kind of safeguards, you know, there were a couple ways you had some resources to kind of mitigate that, but, um, but you know, it wasn't guaranteed. And if it was a protracted fight, you might spend all those resources and, and, you know, you, yes. yeah, you took down some people gloriously, but you went down yourself. And I had one campaign mm -hmm. where I, I lost two characters in the course of the game, and I and I loved it. And it was really tragic and a big deal. Like, it was serious. And for me, because I'm vain, the thing I like the most about it is that after my first character died, people kept talking about him all the time. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah. my God, this guy, right? Right, right. right? Like, this big, epic way. Mm -hmm. Um so even though yeah it meant i got to i had to sit out of the session and i had to make a new character and i had to figure out how to fit that character in and all those kind of like well i wasn't playing the whole time things you know yeah. in a game with high lethality when you don't know when you're gonna die and it could happen anytime like it meant it made a big you know it was a big deal and it made uh, you just hope that it doesn't happen too often because then death becomes right. meaningless like That's you, right. you gotta gotta gauge it you you avoid frankly you avoid getting stabbed or shot as much as you can. Right. So you stop putting yourself in that position then. Yeah. 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 Or, or at least you try to. And then, and then when you get into a fight means it's really important. It means like, okay, I've decided this is worth it to risk my character's yeah. life to, to achieve this goal. Yes. So. Uh, right. And, and I think that in, in role-playing games in general, life is sort of life is cheap. And that, to a degree, um, or at least the, the life of non-player characters is cheap. And that sort of comes to the second sort of half of this question. And maybe we'll uh, save that uh, for another day, so we've got a, just a couple of minutes left here. Um, but that's natural, uh, natural consequences. Like, something that I do is going to lead to a consequence. And does the size of the consequence have to match the experience of my character? Or does the size of the consequence have to match the actions that, uh, that I've taken? Know, and maybe that's a that's a topic for we can we can yeah, break the I, ice I, on it and say yeah no I think it's a really good question because I think that that question will be answered differently depending on the mood of the game you're playing um, mm. because I think that there's some games I mean I was I was running Monster Hearts mm -hmm. yesterday and like one of the one of the players like her character is a fairy and she just made like crazy things happen all the time like everybody's drinks start boiling over and I was like. I was thinking, I was like, how are people going to react to this? And I was like, you know what? I think we've kind of decided that Monster is the new black. So, like, everyone's just sort of like, oh, crazy things happened. I guess, like, 
No one reacted to it. I mean, besides like going, oh my God, the water's boiling and they flung it away. But like no one freaked out about it and was like, how did this happen? Why was our water all boiling? We need to call in some investigators. Right. Like there, like there wasn't a big reaction because frankly, I felt like in that game to have to effectively penalize the player for doing what I thought was creative and interesting yes. would not have been fun. Like, no. like if I could have gotten a real personal kind of intimate um consequence for that then that could have been fun um i had this kind of nerdy girl who was carrying a gl who was carrying a tray that had mountain dew on it and i was putting her at risk like i was like this this person who this total innocent might get hurt but i didn't want to have right. like the authorities or anybody do something about it because mm -hmm. it right, just wouldn't right. be in the spirit of the game so i think it really i think it's a good question it's worth a lot more discussion but i think the caveat is that's a lot about the the feel and the mood of the game you're playing yeah you don't mm. want to spend the rest of monster hearts with a bunch of people going but how did she make it boil that's important mm. right because that's yeah not that's not yeah. the important thing about the game at all. <laughs> right. that's well exactly yeah yeah that's that's often sometimes it's difficult to well i suppose like you say it depends on the type of game the type of game you're playing or what's important in that game but but mm. right um well i think that'll do for us for um for this week um we'll carry on with the uh, the consequences I think next week I'm not sure who will be part of that consequences conversation but I want to thank my guests Sean Nittner and uh, Karen Twelves with the best last name ever um, <laughs> for, for being on the, the show this week and uh, that will do it so goodbye from me thank you very much Daniel Bye, it's really so nice being on the show <laughs> and goodbye from the guys and until next week uh, keep talking the walk mm -hmm.